Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Scripture in Black and White. Uh, I'm Anthony Walker here with Bobby Harrington, uh, and we're excited to be here today to uh, continue in these series of lessons that we've been dealing with uh, concerning how we got the Bible. Uh, Bobby, if you will, uh, we walk through this document. We're walking through a document that deals with some of these points, and we hit about two or three of them on last week. So catch us up today as we get ready to launch into uh, the next couple of points. Hey, Anthony, great to be with you. I love that we get to do this and that we get to go in-depth uh, because it's one of the few places where we can do an in-depth look. By the way, uh, Anthony was referring to a document. I'm going to go ahead and put that up uh, on the website renew.org. It's actually a chapter out of a book that I wrote uh, called Trust and Follow Jesus. Uh, it's the leader's guide, and it kind of does a deep, deep dive on these things that we're going through. So here's the recap from last week. Uh, first of all, we talked about how Jesus believed in the inspiration and authority of the Old Testament. And then secondly, Jesus said his teachings would finalize the Hebrew Bible. In other words, uh, what you have is the Old Testament and then the teachings of Jesus. And those teachings by Jesus were uh, given to and commissioned to his apostles. And so when the apostles wrote things down, Paul, Peter, James, uh, Matthew, when these guys wrote them down, or uh, apostles had their teachings summarized, like the Gospel of Mark is the teaching of Peter. When those teachings were written down, they became the New Testament. So what we've got then is the Hebrew Bible and the teachings of Jesus, which become the Old Testament and the New Testament. Wow. Wow. So uh, just looking at that now, uh, let me just ask you this. It may seem like a surface level question, but someone may be asking, uh, did these men just kind of sit down and, and, and dream about God one day and said, let me just write some things down? Uh, or, or did they come up with a nice, neat, uh, concise story of, of morality and uh, wisdom is—is is that how it was? When you say that they wrote these things down, that they just sit down and decide to pin a couple of things about God? Well, uh, that's a good question, Anthony. So that we we know now from uh, research and the archaeology and the documents that have been uncovered from the first century, we know about the practices of Jewish people, and you see this in the Qumran community, for example, that they were very meticulous about taking the teachings uh, of, say, in this case, somebody like Jesus, and making sure that they got it right. So when Jesus was with them, he told them that the Holy Spirit would remind them of what he taught. But we also know that they used devices that were common in the first century to uh, put the teachings together. So typically what would happen is that you would have a teacher who would have his sayings, and uh, the disciples of that rabbi would write them down. So, for example, let's take uh, Matthew, mm -hmm. who records the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And it may be that the Hebrew version of Matthew is actually the oldest copy of Scripture. The version of Matthew that came down to the church 
uh, was in Greek, but uh, there's some statements that it was originally written in Hebrew, which would make sense. And so in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, for example, is highly structured, and it would have been easy to, number one, record it, and then number two, write it down. And uh, in the first century, they commonly would memorize the teachings of their, their teachers. So what you have then is that the apostles have these uh, documents where they're pulling them together. Uh, Matthew pulls his together, and then he has the, the story of Jesus or the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Uh, a lot of people think Mark was the first one written, and it begins with, you know, the gospel of Jesus. So it's like the good news about Jesus. Let me tell you. And then Mark tells uh, the story. Luke has um, not only Luke is the companion of the Apostle Paul. So he tells the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and then the the story of the early church. So these documents were taken as under the inspiration and authority of Jesus appointed apostles. They had his teaching, as he said at the end of what's recorded for us, Matthew 28, uh, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so as we saw last week in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church, the first thing they did is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because it was the teaching of Jesus. And it was written down so that it could be passed around and people could learn about it. So basically, uh, that is is how it would have happened. They would have taken the Old Testament, as we're going to see, with these apostolic teachings of Jesus from the apostles, and then they were established as the basis upon which everyone formed their faith and followed the apostles. Mm. So, so these, and, and I like how you broke that down. So, you know, the gospels that we uh, commonly called them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were initially centered around the teachings of the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus, and, and, and having memorized them, having carefully noted them, as well as the narrative, of, as you pointed out, of Jesus. This is, you know, this is rock bottom, like this is solid I recall going uh, one of the, the trip that I went to Israel and talking with, um, you know, several Jewish people, and they shared how their culture is based around memorizing teachings, and and we we now we don't hardly memorize anything. I, I think about how my generation and younger we we don't know very many telephone numbers. I, I think I stopped memorizing numbers after my parents' home number. My, I remember when my mom got her cell phone and, and you know, I remember that, but I couldn't, I couldn't call you Bobby if my life depended on it. If I needed to remember your number, but, but again, that's because our culture has shifted. But at this time, they memorized not just a memory verse uh, that we commonly do. They memorized full books a uh, full array of teachings and could quote it to you as it was given to them. And you even hear kind of that language, as Paul says, I received from the Lord as I also delivered unto you. And he just goes on and on because of that culture. So 
you know, it's, it's one thing that we're skeptical now to say, oh, I don't know, but we're basing it off of our culture today, which is not around memory, which is not around teaching, whereas early Hebrew history and early Hebrew culture, they took to heart when God says in Deuteronomy, teach them this word when they rise, when they lay down, when they That's right. leave the house, when they come in, when they sit at the table. Like the word is so much a part of their lives. They're not on social media. They're not watching cable TV. They're not doing that. They're not playing video games. Their life was around uh, the word. So in a Jewish community in the first century, the synagogue was the center of life. And uh, we think of the synagogue where they would go on the Sabbath on Saturday, but uh, throughout the week it was a school or mm. it could be a meeting place for the community. And uh, one of the things that uh, has really surprised uh, scholars in the last few years is finding out how literate they were in the first century and uh, realizing that the average person could read and write. Uh, they would discuss what scripture meant. We're going to we're going to see examples, even though it had to be read to them typically in the synagogue because they didn't have printing presses. Uh, still, the the average person was raised to memorize uh, certain passages and to be able to read and write them, as you've said, Anthony. And so that's the process that God used. Mm. So in, in this in this section, I guess, that we're dealing with. Walk us through how the Bible that we have now, how it combines the Hebrew Bible with Jesus's teachings, because, you know, and, and I'll give this as a backdrop as you prepare to break it down. We're living in a time where people are going back to, hey, just just give me God's words and they'll go back yeah. to the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Just give me the Torah, as some say, there are several that say I'm, I'm a Torah follower. So so give me that. But then there are others that say, hey, just give me Jesus. I don't even need my, my Bible starts at, at Matthew chapter one. But the Bible that we have brings those two together. How did we get that and how does it combine it? Yeah, thank you. I think we'll talk uh, next week a little bit more about how we got the, the Bible that what's called the canon, which is mm -hmm. a word for the rule or measure of which books should be in the Bible. But at this point, uh, let's just talk about combining the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Christianity begins based on the Old Testament. Like you cannot envision uh, Jesus and the apostles apart from they are on the foundation of the Old Testament. And uh, as we've seen uh, in our previous podcast, Jesus declares himself the authoritative interpreter of the Old Testament. So Jesus is literally saying, my teaching came from God the Father, and I am the key to understanding the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm the Hebrew Messiah, and my teaching and my ways uh, explain or show the true meaning of the Old Testament. So what happens then is that when the apostles teach uh, about Jesus, when they teach the gospel, they're using the Old Testament. So when you read through the book of Acts, for example, and you look at uh, the early church, it's in Jerusalem. They're, they're talking about what scripture 
teaches, and for them, Scripture uh, right away is combining the apostles' teaching and the Old Testament. Then, then uh, when Paul goes on his missionary journeys, he's going to the synagogues, and he's saying, here's what the Word of God says, and so he'll discuss the teaching of the Old Testament and how it really points to and provides the foundation of the teaching about Jesus being the Messiah. But let me give you a verse. Let me give you a section that just makes the two really clear. And it's taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So the Apostle Paul, uh, as an apostle, is writing to Timothy, and Timothy's in the ancient city of Ephesus. And uh, it's in modern-day Turkey. Back then it was considered Asia Minor. So Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and he's telling him how to lead this local church and what he's supposed to do. And the Apostle Paul puts the two things together really well. He says, here's how to understand the Old Testament. And then almost seamlessly, he transitions to the teachings of Jesus. So let me read the whole section to you, Anthony, and then uh, you can uh, comment on it for us. Here's what he says. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when he says all scripture there, the primary reference is the Old Testament. The New Testament, uh, all the books from the apostles had not yet been pulled together. And so when he says all scripture, uh, the, the primary reference is the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting. Then he says this, uh, and it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We've divided it up that way. It wasn't divided in the original, right? Because there was no right. chapter and verse divisions when Paul wrote it. Right. So uh, he says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So all of a sudden now he's transitioned from the inspiration and authority of the Old Testament to the authority of Jesus. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Paul says. Preach the word. When he says preach the word there, that's a synonym for preach the gospel. Preach the teaching about Jesus. Preach the way of Jesus. So preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So Paul says the antidote to false teaching, the antidote to false understanding is taking the teaching of the Old Testament and the word in the way and teachings of Jesus and put them together. And that is the way of God for you. Oh, my goodness, Bobby, this is this is this is rich here. Uh, and, and I just got to go back and, and underline some of this. I, I have again, preached this text, taught this text, um, but I appreciate what you just did in showing how smoothly 
seamlessly, Paul transitions this concept of Old Testament into the teachings of Jesus so smoothly. And, and it, if, if it's smooth to us, it would have been butter smooth to those who read this. But, but you also have to you know, un- understand in their minds, they were still just Old Testament thinking and, and old law Hebrew Bible thinking. And so this new Jesus thing <laughs> that's come through, it's, it's like, I, I, I don't know. And so Paul is saying, no, this is all one book here. This is all one big teaching, um, but we must read the Old Testament and process it through the lens of Jesus. Uh, and so, and, and I love how, you know, even with it, the book of Hebrews, um, there's a lot of that same transitionary language going on where you've heard this, you understand this, but all the things that you heard and studied and understood was pointing to the Messiah, the King. And so listen to him. You still have that foundation that you grew up with, that you learned. But now we go through Jesus and what he tells us about this. And especially, you know, as it relates to anything, he said, you guys are thinking about this. This was pointing to Jesus. So um, as we look at this Hebrew Bible with Jesus's teachings, You mentioned something, and I just want to pull on this real quickly. You mentioned something. You mean to tell me that these weren't written in books and and verses and chapters? And was that not how it was written down? You know, Paul, he didn't didn't stop and put a period and say, okay, I think that's enough. Let me go to verse two. Is that how he did that? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to throw anybody off. I was just trying to Um, give the background. So when the New Testament documents were written, they were written in Koine Greek, and they had their common literary uh, structures and ways they would write documents in the first century. And uh, the chapter divisions in our modern Bible didn't come about to about 1000 AD. So it was 1000 years after the New Testament was written. Uh, For the sake of studying it, uh, people put in chapter divisions to divide up the thoughts. And then somewhere around uh, close to 1500 AD, uh, they put the verse divisions in. But in their primary context, uh, they weren't. New Testament documents, and I'll show some in a in a couple weeks, uh, some of the oldest manuscripts. Uh, it's just block. It's a block of text. And so we read through it and divide it up to make it easier to process through. But for the ancients, they just understood it as a block of text. Gotcha, gotcha. And let me ask this as well as we're coming through or, or just point this out as we're coming through to those that may be listening and you say, well, okay, I'm going to start with New Testament. You hear a lot of people talk about you know, New Testament, New Testament, New Testament, and they almost abandon the Old Testament. Again, another reference from the book of Hebrews when we read in Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the you know hall of faith, all these great faith leaders, we can't understand faith without the Old Testament because everyone right. mentioned there is Old yeah. Testament. So faith yeah. is not a New Testament concept. It's, it's, it's been there the whole time, 
So we have to understand. So we have to have at minimum a cursory understanding of the Old Testament to even be able to read the New Testament. Is that accurate, Bobby? That's exactly right. You know, uh, the New Testament presupposes and is built on the foundation of, of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Hebrew Messiah. And so we understand the New Testament through the grand narrative or the grand story of Scripture that begins with Abraham, where God promised in Genesis chapter 12, uh, he, he made a promise, a sort of a unilateral promise to this guy named, at that time, Abram, and God promised that he would bless him, uh, that he would make him into a great nation, and that he would bless all people through him. So he blessed Abraham in his life. He made him into a great nation that became Israel, and then God ultimately blessed the whole world through the descendant of Abraham, the ideal Israelite, the Messiah of Israel, who is King Jesus. And King Jesus' teachings come out of and are based on the foundation of everything that God gave to Abraham's descendants in the Old Testament. And so, uh, again, it's a it's a it's it's a book with uh, two parts: uh, the foundation, which is we call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the covenant for Israel, and the New Testament, which is the New Covenant, the covenant through Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, that's now offered to all nations and all people. And so the two come together beautifully in the Bible. Okay, all right. So that's that's a good. Good response. You, you've got me. You're leading me along. So let me just take the whole Bible. Why, why the nuance here of a little bit higher emphasis on the New Testament? What, what, where, yeah. where does that come from? Thank you, Anthony. So let's talk about this because this is so important that we understand. So let me begin by describing things that happen or that are taught in the Old Testament. So when God led the descendants of Abraham uh, out of the land of Egypt, when he led the 12 tribes out of the land of Egypt, he led them into the Sinai desert, and there God gave them the law, or uh, it's described in the first five books, often called the Pentateuch. So God gives the Jewish law to the Jewish people. And these laws that God gives to them, uh, as you read through, for example, Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Exodus, we see that when God did that, he was giving them very specific things for an ancient people that they would be able to understand God's way. God did it. God gave the commands to the Israelite people <clears throat> so that they were very specific. So let me give you some examples of the specificity of things for Jewish people in the Old Testament that are not required under the way of Jesus, which is for all nations. Uh, it includes the Israelite people, but it includes all nations. So for example, let's take something like circumcision. Circumcision was intended in its first instance 
as something that delineated and signified who was Jewish. Not only that, but there were laws about foods that Jewish people could not eat because the Jewish people were holy to the Lord. So the pagan nations could eat these foods, but the Jewish people couldn't. So for example, pork, they, they, they were not allowed to eat pigs. They were not allowed to eat shellfish. They had certain scruples uh, around other types of, of, of food that they could not eat that is then not applied to Gentile people. And, but then uh, not only things like circumcision and uh, foods that they could eat, uh, as a distinctive people who were drawn out of the land of Egypt, God gave them the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And Saturday was commanded by God for the Jewish people as a day to be observed. Now, in addition to these Jewish commandments, the biggest thing of all in the Old Testament is that God commanded them to make animal sacrifices. So they would sacrifice lambs and bulls and goats. And at first they made these sacrifices in the tabernacle. It was a movable tabernacle where the presence of God was. And to atone for sin, they would make sacrifices by the blood. Because uh, the book of Leviticus tells us that the, the life of a creature is represented by its blood. And when you take its life, the blood is given as an atonement for sin. Now, what, what was happening, Anthony, is God was teaching people how serious sin was and that sin could only be taken away by the sacrifice of life, epitomized by the blood and the blood sacrifices. What God is doing is he's helping prepare them to understand his holiness and why his son, the Messiah, would have to be sacrificed for our sin. Bobby, so let, me, let, me cut in, to... let me cut in here real quick because that's a great, great point I just want to underline. Even though God at the time is teaching and giving prescription to his people at that time, to the Jewish people, the pagan world, you guys are doing some other stuff right now, but to you guys, to my, to my people, I want you to behave in this way. I want you to have these uh, tenets. And, and just in one of those examples that you gave, just this piece on the blood to them at that time, they're seeing this is the instruction. Okay. The life of the creatures in the blood. And when it dies, its blood is drained. That's the sacrifice. And, and, and this is an atonement at the time for our sins. The bigger picture though, that he's painting is that somewhere down the line, an ultimate sacrifice, a permanent sacrifice will be made with a spotless lamb whose blood would be shed for the atonement of our sins. So it, he's, he's starting out with the small picture, the thumbnail, and he's coming up to the big uh, massive billboard later on. Go ahead, Bobby. I just wanted to underline that. No, that's really good. You uh, Earlier, you were referring to the book of Hebrews in the mm -hmm. New Testament. And the book of Hebrews goes into great detail around this, uh, especially chapter nine in the book of Hebrews. Yeah. It describes all these sacrifices that were a part of that system. 
And then the, the writer of Hebrews says that, you know, that system is vanishing and disappearing because it's not necessary anymore. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me, Anthony, uh, I've been to Israel 12 times. And one of the things that I love going when, I, when I'm in Israel is to the remnants of the temple that, that existed in the first century. It was this huge, massive complex that just dominated the ancient city of Jerusalem. And they would make sacrifices there every day. And uh, once I was there and I was like totally obsessed with the temple because in my, uh, in my study of scripture and my following Jesus, I hadn't fully appreciated how massive these blood sacrifices were, how central they were to the Passover and to, to removing sin and to Hebrew life. It was amazing. And I was like, I was obsessing with the temple. And uh, I was leaving, and all of a sudden I felt convicted. I believe it was the Holy Spirit convicted me, and that, that God's not here anymore. He doesn't do that anymore. It's not required anymore because Jesus shed his blood, and because Jesus shed his blood, he took away all of those Old Testament practices, and they're no longer necessary. They're no longer a part of what God does because the, of the greatness and goodness and supremacy of King Jesus, who, who abolished all of that as a requirement to be the people of God. Oh, wow. Deep, deep stuff. So we, we've walked through the law, um, and, and this was kind of that initial relationship piece uh, that God has with the Jews. What would be the next portion of this as we continue matriculating? So, so I want to be very careful now that we state this uh, carefully and accurately because there's a lot of confusion in our world in some places about these things. So uh, in the book of Acts, which is the record, uh, the inspired record of the early church, the original uh, phase when Christianity first is proclaimed starting in the day of Pentecost in 30 AD in Acts chapter 2, we see that all the converts to Christianity, they're Jewish people. They're, they're, they're following the Messiah, Jesus, and they come from Jewish people from all over the world are following Jesus, the Messiah. And it's very important that when you go to Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, something really interesting happens. There is a man, his name is Cornelius. He is not Jewish. He is Gentile. In the Bible, everybody who's not Jewish is Gentile. So there's a, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And the Bible says that <clears throat> he was a good man, that his prayers and gifts to the poor were noted by God. And what we find in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, the story is repeated, is that this is the first non-Jewish person that comes to faith in Jesus and salvation. And here's how God did it. God did it by giving the apostle Peter a vision. And uh, Peter is on the roof of the house and he's praying. And in the vision that God gives him are all these animals. And the vision, the voice in the vision says, get up and eat. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to eat that. that that's that's uh, unclean food. That's like you're asking me to eat pigs and things like that. 
<clears throat> and I'm, I'm a faithful Jewish person, I wouldn't do that. And then, then the vision stops. Peter's kind of mystified, and he gets an invitation to preach the gospel to a man named Cornelius. So he goes to meet Cornelius, and when he gets to meet Cornelius, uh, Cornelius's household is there with him. Household in the ancient world would include aunts and uncles and slaves and extended family. Mm -hmm. So it's a big gathering, and they've gathered to hear Peter. And Peter gets up, and he starts telling them about God's ways and about Jesus the Messiah. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, they miraculously can speak in tongues, which demonstrates that God's accepted them. He's given them the Holy Spirit. And so Peter then concludes, he goes, oh, my goodness, God's accepted them. I'm going to baptize them because they become a part of the family of God. And so Cornelius becomes the first non-Jewish person to become saved and to become a Christian. And in that story, he does not have to give up his Gentile ways. He does not have to become Jewish. He does not have to practice circumcision, Sabbath observance, and all of that. And then <clears throat> that becomes a common practice. So much so that by Acts chapter 15, all of these non-Jewish people, these Gentile people, they're coming to believe in Jesus the Messiah. And, and the, the apostles conclude uh, under God's direction that they don't have to be required to follow Jewish ways. So again, what are they not going to do? They're not going to have to follow food laws. They're not going to have to observe the Sabbath, which is Saturday. They're not going to have to, you know, practice animal sacrifices, which by this point, they've already given up because animal sacrifices are totally useless now because Jesus has his complete sacrifice for all time. So all of a sudden now, uh, a, a, a significant number of Gentile people, non-Jewish people, start to follow Jesus. So Anthony, I do want to share a passage that I think is really crucial on this point. And it's taken from the book of Ephesians uh, chapter two. If there's any one section of the Bible that people who have questions about Sabbath observance and Jewish laws around pork and shellfish and lobster and all of these things, if there's one section that's gonna be most helpful, it's gonna be Ephesians chapter two. And I'd like to read verses 14 through 16 because they tell us explicitly that for Gentile people, Gentile people are not required by God to uphold Jewish practices. Here's what he says. So he's talking about how there's Jewish people and Gentile people, and God has made them one. He says this in verse 14, for he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. A little bit of background. There was hostility between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Mm -hmm. If you think that anti-Semitism is just a modern thing, it's not true. Uh, Roman people did not like Jewish people, and Jewish people did not like Roman people in the first century. We've got lots of writings, people like Pliny the Elder, uh, uh, Tacitus, Suetonius, Roman historians, they make it really clear of the antagonism between Jew and Gentile. So when Paul says 
Jesus is our peace. He's made Jew and Gentile one, and he set aside, he destroyed the barrier. What's the barrier? The law, and, and now he gets specific in its commandments and regulations. And by that, he he's not saying the Old Testament morality goes away. He means the commands around food laws and ceremonial laws and the regulations around animal sacrifices, the distinctively Jewish cultural elements. And then he says this, his purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. So now, we as Gentiles and Jewish people can be saved by the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. So, for example, there's passages like Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 or 5, 4 that say, we, we don't require circumcision from Gentile people. Uh, we don't require them to keep the Sabbath as a special day. That's one of the days described in Romans 14. And these distinctions, they're no longer required for God's people because the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, is for all people. Um, and then let me just say this last thing uh, to summarize it all up, Anthony. Jesus himself is the interpretive key for the entire Old Testament. So I have glasses on. And one of the ways of looking at it is that I put on my Jesus glasses. I read the whole Old Testament now through the lens of Jesus. What he taught, what he did, uh, how he told us, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us how to interpret the Old Testament, how to go for the heart of it. He is the central thread. Uh, literally, it says in Romans chapter 10 that Jesus is the end or the goal of the law that ultimately he epitomizes everything that it's about. And as Hebrews says, in these last times, God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Very eloquently put, very plainly uh, explained. So to those you know who are listening, you've got an in-depth teaching on why uh, the law does not apply in the way that it did to the Jews. And Cornelius, um, you know, when you mentioned that, one of my favorite uh, passages in Scripture, and, and it goes back to Peter as God is really preparing him for that moment. If you remember in Acts, uh, the chapter before, uh, Acts chapter 9, at the end of Acts chapter 9, Peter is staying in the home of a tanner. And, and a tanner would be dealing with uh, dead animals and, and blood and, and all of this. And so Peter is, is staying in this place, and I'm sure it is bothering his Jewish heritage because he's not supposed to be around these unclean things, and uh, he's you know around this. And then on top of that, God gives him this vision of these animals, and he's saying, I, I just can't do it. Like, this is just... I can't, I, this is just 
But then when he sees the power of God and sees what God has been doing, as the Hebrew writer would let us know, through the entire time, then he has nothing to do but to submit to the will and the power of God. So now, as, as you would help me to understand, it's okay for me to, on Saturday night, wearing mixed blend clothes, go and eat bacon wrap shrimp. Like, that's, that's okay. <laughs> I, like right. I, like, I like the way you put that. Hey, Anthony, <laughs> let me mention some things, because as I said, this is kind of a, uh, for some folks, this can become tricky. But let me mention some specific things. So what okay. we're talking about is the distinctive Jewish ceremonial parts. And I want to emphasize that word, word uh, ceremonial, or uh, um, we might call uh, regulations mm -hmm. that are different than moral commands. Mm. Uh, they, they have been uh, abolished as what God would expect of Gentiles. So one would be the Sabbath. So this, the Sabbath is a distinctive Jewish thing. Uh, you know, how God brought them out of, out of the land of Egypt. You might, you might look at Exodus 20, 8 through 10. Circumcision. Uh, circumcision is not required. Again, it's a, it's a distinct ceremonial law for uh, the physical descendants of Abraham, who are the Jews. We've talked about pigs. It's okay mm -hmm. to that those uh, uh, ceremonial laws around food with pigs and sh shellfish. And, and you also mentioned the blending of fabrics, which was prohibited in the Old Testament. Those are, again, Jewish ceremonial laws that are not required of Gentiles. Mm -hmm. uh, now, let me mention uh, the whole idea of Sunday as the Sabbath and what what happens there. A lot of people get confused about this. So when you read through the New Testament, you'll find that the earliest Christians started to meet on Sunday because Sunday, the first day of the week, is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In the book of Revelation, for example, it talks about it as the, the Lord's Day. Mm. Uh, we note that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that they come together on the first day of the week. And so the Apostle Paul talks about their giving and uh, you know how they would um, administrate that. Then you see in places like Acts 20 and 7, where they come together again on the first day of the week, they have communion. And the pattern in the New Testament is they start meeting on Sunday. Again, these are not Jewish people. They would, they would meet. Uh, the first day of the week, typically they, they would meet early in the day. Uh, we note by the time of Justin Martyr in 150 AD, so that's about uh, 60 years after the book of Revelation has been written. Justin Martyr makes it very explicit. Christians meet on the first day of the week. It's what we do. Now, having said that, there is this strong tradition and this practice in Scripture that they met on the first day of the week. We note that they didn't. The Gentiles did not meet on Saturday, which is the Sabbath. And so what happens then, if, if I can just go to Western civilization and uh, North American history, is when uh, 
the United States was being populated, uh, a lot of people like Presbyterian people in particular, but not just Presbyterians and Lutherans and others, uh, what they did is they established laws which made Sunday just like the Sabbath that Jewish people had. And they said, uh, basically, the, in the New Testament, the early Christians met on Sunday. And because they met on Sunday, we want to make that a Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people would refer to Sunday as the Sabbath. The New Testament never does this. Uh, but the common person would think that Sunday is the Sabbath. And in fact, uh, Sunday is the day the Christians met. Uh, and then Christians decided to import for Sunday concepts of Sabbath rest and all of that, which are good things, but we should make sure that we delineate that, that that's a, that's a third bucket issue. That's a, that's mm. our interpretation of a good way to practice the Sabbath, to do it on Sunday. And that's what Christians have typically done throughout history. Um, and so I hope that that background helps. Thank you. Thank you for that, Bobby. So uh, just a quick uh, recap on today's episode, and we always appreciate uh, the depth of, of knowledge that Bobby has in these areas. Um, some of the things that we've gathered from today is that the Bible is this uh, combining of the Hebrew Bible, the Bible that we have now, is combining the Hebrew Bible with the teachings of Jesus, and those teachings continue through the apostles, uh, and so we have many of their epistles uh, as well, and also understanding how the New Testament uh, is emphasized even greater than the Old Testament. It is through Jesus that we now read the entire Bible. Uh, Bobby gave a great analogy using his glasses uh, that Jesus is the lens through which we read the entire scriptures. Well, Bobby, I'll give you the last word. I just want to say again to those who are uh, listening to us and those who are watching us on YouTube, we appreciate this. We always encourage you to share this with someone, share the podcast link. We, you can be found anywhere that you get your podcast, as well as our YouTube uh, videos as well. But don't forget to stop by renew.org. Just stopping by renew.org is a wealth of uh, resources for you uh, on your Christian journey. But if you want to reach our landing page, you would go to renew.org slash media and you'll click on the link to our page and any kind of documents or research sources that we have tied to the episodes will be found there. Bobby? Anthony, thank you so much. I love being with you. Uh, I do want to, uh, with anticipation, tell everybody that next week we're going to talk about how did we get the Bible? Like, how did, how did in history uh, the 66 books of the Bible come to be the Bible, uh, the canon? How did we get the canon of Scripture? So we're going to talk about the process by which that happened and how that we can uh, rest assured that these are the books that God wanted to be in the Bible and that they, in fact, are the rule and the norm for our faith. So until next time, thank you so much for being with us and may you have a great week.